Hello, I'm James Fitzsimons and welcome to The Career Scoop, a podcast all about career progression, advice and experiences aimed at assisting those who are in career transition. Today, my guest is solicitor and business person and managing director of the HR department, David Bell. David qualified as a solicitor in 1993 and has worked as an in-house solicitor for companies ranging from a startup company to a major publicly quoted food company. During that time, he provided legal advice, particularly in the area of employment law. David is now Managing Director of the HR Department, a company that provides small to medium-sized organizations with the expertise and support to build and maintain a comprehensive and legally compliant human resources function. He writes a weekly blog on all matters HR and employment, and is also a regular contributor to Down to Business with Bobby Care on News Talk. I'm delighted to welcome you to the show, David. Thanks, James. Nice to be here. Great. Now we'll kick off. First question. You might just share an overview of your career to date. Highs and lows, what you've learned, what are you most proud of? Okay, I suppose I've had a bit of a varied career in some ways. Um, I, uh, you know, did the sort of traditional, left school, went to went to college, not really sure what I wanted to do, but I probably always had a uh, an idea that that law was going to be somewhere along the line, uh, partly because of my uh, my family, as, as with a lot of, uh, not, not obviously exclusively lawyers, but a lot of people tend to have a family member or someone, an uncle or an aunt or a father or mother, and they tend to, you know, maybe that's the aspiration of the parents <laughs> in some respects. But there was always sort of part of my uh, I suppose the makeup that if you'd asked me when I was young, what was I going to be? I'd probably have said, I want to be a solicitor. I'm going to be a solicitor. So that was the plan. Now, uh, you know, through uh, lack of uh, either intelligence or effort, I didn't get sufficient to get into law. So I did it the roundabout way. Uh, I did a BA in UCD and I then did a diploma in legal studies and rap minds. And then, you you know, you you sit the entrance exam as it was then. Um, and you applied and you, if you got the you got in, you got in and then went for your apprenticeship. So I did that. It took me a while, a couple of stabs at it, uh, but eventually I, I got in. So I, I again, I suppose I, I, I had an interesting and varied uh, uh, start to my career. I worked for uh, one practice, regrettably, the, the principal of the practice um, got himself into a bit of difficulty with, uh, <laughs> with the law society and with the guards and ended up, uh, the, the, the practice was... Uh, was dissolved, unfortunately, halfway through my apprenticeship. But um, I managed to secure myself another apprenticeship with a, a very, a very good guy, uh, Paul Marr, and uh, also Pierce Megan, who I would have known, but you know, would have sort of helped me out. So I qualified, and to be perfectly honest with you, James, I don't know if I if I could really say I was altogether happy as a solicitor ever. Uh, you know, I, I I liked aspects of it. I was always a bit sort of waiting for the, you know, the, the feeling of this is, you know, every time you achieve something and qualified or did something that you felt was good or it never really happened. So I, I struggled for a couple of years as to, you know, you know, you sort of ask yourself, have I done the right thing here? What, what am I doing? Um, and I was fortunate in the sense that I had an opportunity arose to join a small company as an in-house solicitor, which not something, this is back in the 90s, there wasn't that many. I mean, obviously the banks and the insurance companies, some of the bigger companies, PLCs, would have had in-house solicitors, but there wasn't that many. And so it was a relatively new thing, certainly to me. 
But I thought that was much better. It was much broader. You had one client ostensibly was your employer. Uh, but you got to do a whole raft of things. But, you know, you weren't dealing with multiple clients uh, trying to plumose them and keep them all happy. You just had one. So I found that very useful. And that's the path I took. That was in, as I said, early, early 90s, not maybe 96, mid 90s. And then I went to work for a large private company, Ted Castle Oil, um, as an in-house solicitor, and then ultimately Green Corps Group as a, as a part of the secretariat department based in head office, which would have been as a solicitor. My boss was a, had been, or is a solicitor, was a solicitor. And then when she was promoted to company secretary, they wanted someone to take her place. So that was my legal career. And I stayed with them. Uh, um, and I, you know, worked away. I was an employee. I was a solicitor, so I was sort of being able to do do two things. And again, I suppose, <laughs> uh, you know, I started to think about what 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 is the future. And I mean, as I was looking down the road, and you know, there was obviously a possible career path within those big companies or moving as as people do, and that's common enough. Um, but again, sort of out of left field, I I started to think about developing. Um, because every time I'd done the in-house role, particularly for companies who hadn't had one before, after a period of time, you could you could get it running relatively, you know, once you've done the initial work, uh, you could possibly turn into a part-time job if that makes sense. So once you've done all the initial review of all the contracts and your insurance policies and your leases and you've you've managed a lot of the heavy lifting in the early couple of years. I felt that, you know, it's something that you could do. So I thought to myself, if I could do it for more than one person and really create it into a sort of a consultancy business. So that's what I started to think about. And that ultimately led me to take over this company called the HR department, which was much more employment focused because a lot of the people I spoke to about the in-house lawyer possibility always, always came back to employment as being the one that they really struggled with and that they found themselves um, having great difficulty with. So you would have, I mean, you would, were you married, had your mortgage, and then you decided to jump off the cliff to set up a business? That's yeah, I'll tell you what, I was not only... Like, very unsinister yeah. like in that sense. So can bring us through your thinking and the... And the yeah, the it's funny, I was married. I had just had my second child. So I was, you know, I was going along and I suppose I was following what one might consider a sort of traditional path albeit I had, I had broken from practice into this corporate world. But, you know, I, I was going along. I was happy enough. But there was part of me that just felt, you know, another big move was going to have to come. Either I was going to have to possibly, if I stayed where I was, and I'm not saying they would have given me a job, but certainly overseas was a possibility because a lot of the businesses that they had in Ireland at the time uh, with Greencore, Irish Sugar, people will, might remember anyone who has any sort of interest in Irish political and historical, Irish Sugar was eventually, because of EU funding, I won't go into the detail, but it basically closed down. That was a significant part of the business that I was involved in. And there was a number of peripheral businesses. So a lot of the Irish businesses were either sold or in Irish Sugar's case was closed down. So there was businesses in the States, there's business in the UK and you know, in that corporate world, certainly there might have been an opportunity uh, to move if if there was an opportunity there, I could have pushed myself. 
I probably didn't want to do that given the family situation. So I started to think, well, do I want to just look for a job in a similar role in a different organization? Or is there another way? And I think that's, that's what prompted me to think, got this in-house solicitor thing. Even in the bigger companies, relative to small companies, obviously the, the, the magnitude of the issues that you might deal with uh, are bigger. But fundamentally, when I broke it down, it was quite a similar job. A lot of it was problem fixing, sorting a lot of things out to get a, a sort of a certain base level. Um, and that's what prompted me to do it. So you're right. I mean, it was 2006. Part of me was great that, you know, I was, I was able to go part-time um, in Green Corps, which was great because that allowed me, you know, put the toe in the water without jumping straight in. Uh, I was obviously being paid, albeit on a three-day week, but that was still good. And I had some security there in terms of income and allowed me, you know, try and develop this business and that's pretty much what I did I worked for four years part-time till about 2010 when uh you know we all know what it was like around then but I felt there was enough there was enough momentum in the business to to justify uh to justify going full-time at it so that's what I did so I was very very fortunate that both I was you know able to go part-time you know certainly not everyone can do that not everyone has the even the mentality that you know that entrepreneurial they just couldn't bear thinking about working. But certainly I don't classify myself in that mode of some of those, what I'd call pure entrepreneurs who just could never imagine working for someone else and constantly need to be doing something different or themselves uh, running their own businesses. Um, so I was very fortunate that I was able to do that um, and to allow me time to develop the business without necessarily a huge financial risk behind it. So there wasn't a big plan and a big budget here. It was kind of, okay, I have a good idea. I know it might be sticky. So you jumped. And tell us now the journey since then. And the, you must be supporting a range of people, a range of businesses. And what, what's, what's that like? Yeah, well, I, you know, initially, just I suppose to take a slight step back, the name of the company is the HR department, which was great. Now, it was part of another business. Uh, it's a familiar matter. Company that had set it up but it was it was sort of on their back burner they were a financial advisory company and they were they were they were flying high in that area so this business was sort of there and i i had a, a number of dealings with them and in my discussions with them about the idea of an in-house solicitors option consultancy someone said to me you know we've we've a business called the hr department and it sounds very like what you do or you're planning to do but it's in employment so that both that and the fact that a lot of the feedback I'd got from potential clients, I said, look, this sounds like, you know, the perfect match. They've got the business. They had a few clients who were still, <clears throat> excuse me, with me. But it was very much a dormant company in the sense that there was no business development going on. So I was very lucky to pick that up. Uh, I, again, without telling tales, I had some, some, some funds. I didn't have to go to a venture capital company. <laughs> I don't know how I managed, but we scraped it together. But it was, it was, they were just, they wanted, they saw some value, but, you know, it wasn't part of their future plan. So that's how it started. So I got the company and probably 10, maybe 15 clients who were paying, you know, modest amounts of money, but had some relationship. So at least there was a bit of a starting point. There was one consultant who helps with the business on a consultancy basis need as needs as needs uh, uh, came that the, there was a relationship with her 
So I just liked the idea, but I wasn't taking on any staff. I didn't have a lease to take on. I wasn't at premises. <clears throat> and I was still working, don't forget, three days a week. So even geographically, I was based in Stevens Green and this office was over in Fitzwilliam Square. So I could literally leave Green Corps at half 12 on a, on a Tuesday for my half day and I'd be in the office, my other office, at one o'clock and I could stay there for as long as I wanted. So it worked very well. So anyway, that's how it started. And I suppose gradually I've built it up. So, I mean, we started off with most of the client base was relatively small businesses and you'd be doing atypically a sort of a HR audit where you go in and look to see the lay of the land, documentation, practices, putting contracts and handbooks in place and a very small retainer. And that's the sort of the bread and butter type of arrangement. Some of those businesses obviously get a bit bigger. And what we started to look at was you know, people were saying, I don't really feel I'm big enough to have a full-time HR person, but I wouldn't mind someone helping me maybe a day a week or a couple of days a month. And that's how that developed. And that, that has probably been the main development for me in terms of the business. And I now have four, I suppose, four consultants nearly in businesses full-time, for want of a better word, and then one who does project work for me as and when required. And that could be everything from helping with recruitment to do performance reviews. We do bullying investigations, disciplinary and grievance. So, you know, without stating the obvious, if, if, if the HR department, if someone had a HR department uh, and they would have, have some level of expectation of what that would look like, we try and fulfill that role. Um, some of it is quite regular. As I said, you know, once or twice a week, we could be in there. Others, it can be either on an annual basis or, or on a project basis. So that's that's probably been the biggest development from the business because it changed the whole business. In the past, it was all me trying to do things, get an hourly rate, get a fixed fee for my own time. But that obviously has a limit because I've only got so many hours in the day and in the week. Um, so once the consultancy started to happen, it freed me up to develop the business, I suppose. And that's been fantastic because you're not then so caught up in you know go i do a, do i go for a cup of coffee with james fitzsimons because that's an hour is that an hour i'm losing on on a on a, on a client so you, you 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 get out of that mentality of constantly having to lock look at the clock you must get to have the privilege i suppose to look inside companies and get to see how the businesses run and are, are there any interesting stories on what you what you've observed by that because they're so hugely successful companies. There's companies that despite themselves are hugely successful. Uh, uh, I'm just curious as to, because you become a, an advisor as well. It's not just HR. I presume people, those principals will ask you questions about other things. What do you think in your advice? Yeah, yeah, it's interesting. Well, you know, if I, if I think about some of the questions I might ask someone, uh, you know, because, you know, again, I'm in the slightly fortunate position that a lot of the inquiries we get now, you don't have to educate them or persuade them that consultancy is a good thing. They've already either experience that in some other, maybe financial or IT or something, so they understand the concept, but they're open to the idea, which helps. So you're not trying to persuade them that consultancy or outsourcing is the way to go, but if it does require HR or not, just more around the commonality between a lot of people. And one of the two of the questions that I can ask, which allow me to understand and recognize the business does need help, one of the classics is the new starter. And with your background, you might be horrified to think that this could happen and still does regularly. Is someone that just arrives on a Monday or a Tuesday morning and is down at reception 
and is all excited because they're about to start their new job. And the email goes round <laughs> the company to say, David Bell is downstairs in reception and he's starting today and there's absolute pandemonium. Uh, and I'm not saying that, that, that it's, but it's amazing how common a version of this is, you know, to the extent that where are they going to, like, you know, some people are very on top of it, but a lot of them aren't. And especially with people who, who don't have any structure around how they, how they hire. And uh, you, I've literally had people sort of running down the stairs saying, oh, you know, come on, we'll go out for a cup of coffee. I'll have a chat. And they take them out for two hours whilst, you know, the IT guys get the laptop ready. Now, you know, and, and that is, it's amazing how many times I tell that story and I have people nodding at me in a meeting. And that indicates to me, okay, the, the, you know, that's, it's not to be critical of them, that happens, but it's, that's a fairly fundamental issue because, you know, I think if, you know, and a lot of times, you, again, you'd, be, you'd know about this from your own experiences and, and your own business, you know, they talk about first impressions and a lot of people actually start a job and go, okay, you know, mentally I'm gone in three, could be three or four years time, but there's just something, I'm not saying you have to have everything perfect, but, and I know people are skeptical of onboarding and all of these American expressions, but there's a lot of value uh, to, to, you know, if you think of the individual and people have to think back to when they got their first job or they went for an interview, you know, it's, these days interviews, I mean, they're, they're phenomenally scientific in some ways and perhaps you and I grew up in, a, in an environment where they were a bit more relaxed and a bit less structured and you know this sort of instinctive type of hiring nowadays it's not like that in my view when we see it uh, there's still a bit of the gut feel but you know there's a huge amount of effort on both sides goes into hiring people and to think that you can do all that and then not be ready uh, for that person or people to come in, it just doesn't. And you know, a lot of times, as you know, it's the company are selling themselves. You know, if there's a very, it's a very, if it's a competitive industry, it's very often the company who is trying to persuade someone to join. And you know, I think you need to get it right. So they're the sort of things that we'd start off with. That's a sort of a classic one. And as I said, I often get. Uh, I mean, there's other things like you know, we talk about policies, and I reference a policy. So, you know. I presume you have your, no, your, your disciplinary and you just get these blank faces and they're like, they just know, you know, so how they've managed some issues in the past, perhaps, um, uh, you know, I, I always, again, sort of half jokingly say, there's no point ringing me at 11 o'clock on a Tuesday say, I think I've just fired someone. <laughs> it's not exactly, it's like, oh, okay, well, you know, what am I supposed to do now sort of thing. So you do get people who still operate in that type of, they, they, they sort of shoot first and think later, and then they want someone to fix it. But, you know, it's rarely fixable, let's be honest. So uh, there's a few of those type of things that I will ask, knowing probably 90% of the time, I know the answer, but it, it, they're very common, very common between a lot of my clients. Um, that's just the way they operate. So you have to be inventive and creative and be a, a listener and be gently nudging people in the right direction. Because some people, in my experience, some people, they just don't know because they're focused on driving the business. And it's not, there's no malice in it in that sense. It's maybe disorganization. So, so that, that's interesting. So what, out of curiosity, what type of, when you recruit people or you see your clients recruiting people, is there a cohort of skill sets our, our human qualities, forget about that, their, their ability to do the job, qualification, experience. I'm just thinking about that human. 
Yeah, what, what I have to say, may, maybe because of my own my own background. It's not like I, you know, did fifty five jobs. I don't want to sort of suggest that I'm some sort of multi. But I think the path I took. Um, I think if people have not jumped around too much, I'm not saying that they've t- you know done a job for six months, but I think maybe having done something a bit different to what they're doing, if that makes sense. So, you know, even, even I found, and it's something I'll say to, if, 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 if I was talking to a, a 24 year old me or a, or a newly qualified solicitor or someone who's looking to, if possible, if their firm is big enough, I'd always suggest that they try and do some sort of six months in a company, in a client. It gives them fantastic understanding to your point about what it's like to be the client. So if you're in that professional services business, you know, you're in a, you know, if you're in an office and you've got staff and you're there to help them solve problems or you're there to help them sell business or raise money, but it's very functional. It follows a certain, and they often don't get a sense of what's going on in the background, the politics that's involved, the dynamics of the various, they just presume everything is, you know, not happy as, but so I, I, if I was to, I always think that was a really good help for me to work as a client of a law firm, to be the person, because when I worked in-house, we still had outsource, we had outside solicitors, but you had to filter a lot of information both in and back to your managers. And if you've got, you know, you could have been dealing with five or six different managers who all have a completely different view on how things should be done. So I, I think that would be, I, if someone has, you know, certainly if I was looking at solicitors, I think that's a really good thing. Or an accountant, someone like that. And a lot of people have started to think like that. Maybe get a secondment in a, in a, in a business. Um, and as I said, I like to sort of, not to have sort of chop and change and dissatisfaction or uncertainty, but if they have tried a different path, not necessarily, um, you know, everything has just followed a path and that they've ticked along the way, that there's somewhere along the line they might have deviated and tried something. Uh, that's just the way I, I, not exclusive to that, but that's something I like, I like to look out for. That's cool. And how about networking? What, what do you want to share with, with our listeners, what you understand by networking? Yeah, it's funny. Uh, again, I suppose, I, you know, the traditional networker, uh, uh, you know, going along to business networks is, I've done it and I, I, with some success, I've joined more formal, but I think, you know, I, I am a believer in, in reaching out. I mean, not asking for favors, but, you know, staying in contact with people that you've, you've been, uh, you know, you've, you've known. And one area where I, you know, again, someone may, I don't know what it was said to me, but my, my dad was a great volunteer for want of a better expression every committee that came up, he seemed to be on. And as a child, I was very aware of it. But I think when I look back, ironically enough, some of my, when I say best clients, my clients that have given me either income or have been very good for my business, have all come from connections outside of work or outside my professional world. So if I was to list them, you know, I think, you know, I could say top five or six have been from personal connections, completely unconnected with work. So they're not a business network or a chamber or a, an association. They've come from being on, a, a, you know, a, a union committee or a past, uh, you know, a school committee or 
the tennis committee, something that, you know, you just don't think, and you're not there to do business. You're not there to promote your business. But I suppose people see a, a certain element to it. There's a bit of trust built up. You're, you're doing something voluntary that doesn't get paid for. And there's a bit of goodwill. And it's, a, it, I, it, it's something I never would have thought of. Uh, as and and, it, and it's you know it has to be in a job, but I wouldn't go in with the intention of getting business. But I think that's why it works so well, yeah. um, because you are there on a voluntary basis. So, so, so it's not twenty-two year old graduate now, <clears throat> or that legal graduate or legal qualified. COVID is is here. It's hard to get out. What, what would you say to them? You know, to to start to using the various the various various uh, platforms that that we have now, but to really get out and start to to build build a network. How would you? What would you say to them? How do they do it? Well, I, I think, you know, even if it's the non-traditional way, it's the, it's, it's, a, if you have to do, if you have to do it remotely, you have to do it remotely, but I still think, you know, the cup of coffee and, you know, what we would have had, the lunch, um, is still the best way to do it. If you can get someone, particularly someone who may be, um, either within a business who you admire or you would like to, ask something without asking them directly or in a business environment that you're has, you know, if you can somehow find someone who has a bit of experience. Um, and I know mentoring has become very common now. Again, in our day, it was probably unofficial. There wasn't so much structure around it as there might be today. Um, but, but, you know, a friend of mine told me many years ago, and it was very, you know, the thought process was very clever. He was looking for a job in, in, in Wall Street and he decided the best way of finding out what everyone in the senior companies taught was asking them. And he realized that most people in the businesses that these guys were, they were so big and so powerful, no one would dare ask them these questions because you were meant to know this stuff if you work for them. But that's not to stop some, you know, slip of a fella going in and asking these questions. So he built up this vast array of knowledge based on these guys telling him. And he even sort of jokingly said, no one talks to these people. They don't, you know, they're quite, they can be quite isolated, you know, that sort of very senior person. They, they don't necessarily have a huge amount of collegiality in their workplace because they're so big. Anyway, that was, he took that to an extreme and he literally got huge amounts of information what these guys were thinking about, you know, the markets. It was a very specific job, but it always struck me as a very clever thing to do. And most people who've done very well are very happy to tell you how they've done well. So you think about all the people that you've spoken to, or you go to these conferences and they speak, it's not bravado, but they're very, in, most of them have a very interesting story. So if you could develop that, um, I think that's a very useful thing. And most people are very giving, let's be honest, you know, the, the, certainly not exclusively this country, far from it, but my knowledge is very much based around Ireland. There's very few people will say no to a request to meet for a coffee or, or sandwich. And if you don't have any agenda and you're not trying to, you know, work an angle, just, you know, talk about this. And I think that is an enormous, and, and you know, often that will develop into something else. If there's something about them or something about you that they, they connect with, you'll find that that can develop into something much more, um, you know, meaningful from a business perspective that someone could take an interest. So certainly that is something that I probably relied on my own social network. I wasn't very specific. It was only as I got older, I got much more into that type of um, being a bit more disciplined in, 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 in meeting people, basically, uh, outside of work. There's also a bit of fun sometimes meeting people because they, 
they share part of their, they might be interested in the football or the dogs or the horses or, or, or walking. And on an equal level, most humans like that. And in my experience, that, that very few people who are senior, very few people will say no if you ask for, can I have 10 minutes of your time? And can I just bounce something at you? Because they've, they've, they've been there themselves normally. Now, don't waste their time because they're quite busy. In a sense, if you, if you put it in the right way, it tends to people generally will say, yeah, sure, okay, delighted to, 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 to give you a dig out in this or whatever. Yeah, and as I said, I think it's, and, and even if it's just, as you say, it could be something fairly innocuous. It doesn't have to necessarily even be, I'm thinking of this, I'm thinking of that. It's just a general sense of how they find them. And you know yourself, some people have had a very clear path to what they want to do and they've just been driven. But a lot of them haven't. A lot of them have, it could be by accident, it could be complete luck. They found themselves you know, with the, with the, in, in, a, in a business that they happen to know someone who got involved. You know, there's, there's so many different ways that people have been, inverted commas, successful. And that could be just, doesn't necessarily mean financially, but just in life. Um, and there's also a huge amount of people out there who are very successful in so many ways that no one knows about. You know, it's not always the, the headliners. There's plenty of people who are very low key. And, uh, you know, they can often be much more effective because they don't have you know, a, a personality or, a, or, a, or, a, or an image to portray. They just happen to get on with it. Speaking of headliners, it, it, is it true that you're the reason Bobby Kerr's radio show has such a, such a, 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 broad, a broad audience? Do you want to comment on that? Well, no, uh, Bobby, very nicely. Uh, we, we, we shared a, 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 an alma mater. And when I was president of the union, uh, we, had been, we had been asking... Um, I suppose non non uh, non non school people. I suppose that that's a very laborious way of saying that people who went and got but not past pupils to speak, and it had been great success. We've had some we had some really good. But I was present that year, and I was one of the things I wanted to do was to get someone from the school to speak. And at the time, Bobby was uh, working away. He was obviously involved in Insomni, but he was also on the Dragon's Den, and he always had a bit of. I, I he was a few years ahead of me in school, but I always remembered him as a. A very gregarious, very nice fella. And uh, anyway, long story short, I, I I I managed to get an email from him. And I approached him, and he, he immediately said yes. And then he he spoke at my lunch, and it was a great success. And oh, sure, look, he was fantastic. He even brought a, as I said, most of the time you ask these people along, and they come to the lunch, and it's all. He brought a table. He took a table, and not only did he not charge me, obviously he did it voluntarily, but he also brought a whole table with him. So anyway, he was great success, and I just kept in touch with him. Talking and there, this you know, there's a sort of guy. I mean, he very successful, but very very interesting fellow. So I just kept in touch with him. And then when he started to become do news talk a bit more regularly, uh, you know, he because he knew what I did, and he he just that's how I got involved. So very, it was great. I've done uh, I've done quite a bit with him. And then you're in that sort of news talk world. So I've done I've been on a few of the shows, uh, the Bow George Hook and Ivan Yates back in the day, and then. Kira Kelly more recently lunchtime. So yeah, you go into that world and if you can hold a sentence together and you have some capacity to talk, they'll, they'll tend to call you back. So it's been great. And, and do you feel, I, I, again, I, I've done it one or two times, but not to the level you're done, but do you get the situation where you have the, the, brain, the brain fart? You know, or, or how, do you, how do you manage that? Because it's kind of, it's in and out, I presume. It's quick. Yeah, I mean, part of it, but yeah, I mean, you literally could get a call and, and uh, even where I, one of the one of the advantages I always think and I always like them is that I'm only 10 minutes away and I think if they need to fill 10 minutes, 
they'll drag me in and find something. Yeah, I mean, I think it's, a, to, to, it's funny, a lot depends on the presenter. It, it, they can't just leave you hanging, you know? That, you know that's the, like, if they ask you a question and they're not prepared to dig out, unless you're a, a politician or someone there to, you know, to be an, answer questions, that they're going to leave it. But if you're there as a guest to talk about something that is meant to be of interest, and by and large, they are very good. Yeah, of course, sometimes, if it's very specific uh, and it's something that it's always a bit nerve-wracking when you, you know the question is going to require a specific answer that's right or wrong, and um, that can sometimes be nerve-wracking because you know there are people listening who are going, oh, I don't know, I don't agree with that, and you're waiting for them to come in. But by and large, they're general discussions. But it is, it's very, and I really enjoy it. Uh, I have to say, uh, you know, it is, you know, it's live radio and you do have a certain amount of pressure going in and you're thinking, God, please don't let me make a mistake or stumble over my words. But because it's live, uh, they allow for that. They allow for people to make mistakes. They allow for people to cough and go, uh, not too much, but you know, it's live radio. So I must say it's been, it's been great. So yeah, I've really enjoyed that element of things. That's really, really interesting because as I see you from a lawyer, which has reason or sister trained, reasonably binary one level into uh, in-house where you get to see business then, right, I'm ready to jump off the cliff 2006 uh, to, to create my own business or get involved in the business and grow it. And then to get involved in radios, you've obviously got a great appetite for, you, you can accept change or move with change or, 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 or it interests you or you're provoked. You don't have the yeah. fear maybe or not, not too much fear. Yeah, and, and it's funny, I, I've been very lucky, and I've mentioned that word a couple of times, I think one of the things for me, and I, I, I want to tell people it in a sort of a bravado way, and there are downsides to it, there's no doubt, but one of the things that I found is very useful is that my, my commitment, um, particularly sort of financial, I, I work, say, for example, off a consulting model, so the people who work for me are not employed by me, and just by way of explanation, it's not that I'm trying to, you know, exploit in any way, they don't require full-time employment a lot of them have their own businesses and they just they they want to work on the ground in a business and they don't really want to be developing a business they just react to it and as a result of that you know i can have a pool of very talented people who you know but but the reality is if i don't have a client for them i don't have them as an overhead and like that i've had the flexibility of working from home for a number of years i did have an office and I found I didn't I wasn't there that much. And I thought, you know, part of it was maybe a bit of professionalism. You know, people expected me maybe to have. But as time has gone on and people are much more relaxed, they'll happily meet anywhere, let's be honest. Often they're happy for me to go out to their own place if they're a new client to meet them out there. And it's sometimes good to go out and see, you know, what a place looks like. But people are much more are much less concerned about the professional, you know, why don't you have a big office and why don't you have a receptionist? And modern technology, and look, as we're all finding now, you know, the whole remote working. So I haven't been, I, I've been working from home, I suppose, since maybe 2013, 2014. Right, so, uh, so an early adapter of... of early adapter, of, yeah. The yeah. training in for the, for the COVID experience. Yeah, so, you know, for me, it was, okay, you, you know, you, you as I said, the sociability is gone, but the actual working from home. Um, and uh, yeah, so that's all works. So I've been very lucky in that percent. So it has allowed me to answer your question, I suppose, to be flexible and to adapt as things have gone on and to react to things and to allow me, you know, go down, uh, you know, different avenues and allow me to, to, to do things maybe that I'm, I've, like you mentioned radio, I did a course, which was fantastic, you know, 10 week on radio production, 
run by a guy, um, Patrick Ogie, who used to be at Today FM. He was Matt Cooper's uh, producer. And it's great. If anyone ever interested in that sort of thing, you go in and it's, you know, it's like any of these um, extracurricular courses. Most people never really want to be there. There's no one there dragging themselves in. And you've got everything from newly qualified people who want to do journalism to the likes of me who just want to see what it's all about. But you find yourself doing Vox Pops. So I'm walking around Trinity College with a little microphone interviewing people about what they like about Ireland and Dublin. Hilarious stuff. Completely terrified because you're doing that. But, you know, then you have to go home and edit it. But it was really interesting. Uh, so I've always liked that. Um, and it, it was a great, very worthwhile way of sort of getting a bit more involved and seeing how it all works. A very interesting, I would say. So anything like that, I'd say to people, you know, again, do something. If you can find, be it sport, I know sport is probably, but it doesn't always have to be, you know. It could be something else, uh completely from left field that you never got a chance to do when you were younger because either the opportunity wasn't there or you didn't take it. Uh, so certainly the radio has been that for me. And I really enjoy getting involved, but on a peripheral, it's not my career. I don't have to worry about whether I'm good or not and my viewing and my listening numbers. I don't care. You know, no one's listening to me and, you know, uh, so that's been a great help. So that's something just as an interest that has developed. And it also does, let's be honest, it does help the business as well. It's a, it's a good bit of profile. That's great. It's a secondary issue. I was going to say, you're not an influencer yet in that sense. You're working on it. In that sense. So <laughs> my, 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 my next two more questions, David, I know, I know you're, you're, you're busy at the moment around um, at the time of COVID workplace stress and the, the dislocation of our muscle memory. Uh, what's your thoughts around um, what are your thoughts around that in a sense because you must see some of this coming obviously in HR issues that might come up that you've got to deal with um, yeah I mean and, it's, and they, it, might have been, they might have been kind of neutralised if they were handled maybe at the start I'm talking about the, some of the simple stuff I'm just curious if any thoughts yeah. and comments there's, there's two there's two I think big 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 issues uh, you know that, that probably are because it's been forced on a lot of people I mean I think you know, it's a bit like the homeschooling reference. And I know a lot of people are having to, um, you know, don't have the luxury perhaps of having a lot of activity from the school just for whatever reason, technology or manpower or anything like that. But because it was thrust on a lot of people, it, it, there's, there is going, there's definitely going to be issues down the line. So if you were a workplace that had flexible working time and working from home on occasion, that's fine because that everyone likes the idea of that. Um, because you have, you know, uh, still an ability to work, but maybe if you wanted to stay at home and if your commute is long, um, there's no doubt about it. And you can see all the coverage that people have relocated to their home village and their hometown in Ireland. Some people have gone overseas. Clients of mine have people who they said, look, we're going to go and live in Spain for six months if this is where I'm going to work from home. So there's those sort of types of stories. But like the sort of, you know, at the same time, the, you know, if particularly for, I think, without being sort of ageist, there's the, there's the slightly older group who probably are more comfortable in their role. They know their job much better. They're maybe in the leadership team. Provided they've got a, a secure place to work, it's probably a bit of a relief. <laughs> but if you're that other cohort, and not again exclusively, but you know, if you're starting a job or you're new into a job and you're trying to find yourself, find your place, um, there's a big gap there. Uh, you know, if, if, if one remembers when you worked your, yourself and when I worked, you know, the, the ability to go into someone's office 
have a chat with them, ask them about something, ask them about someone else, have a coffee with them, go for, you know, all of those normal day-to-day things are gone. And I know people are starting to try and have these breakout sessions where, you know, people on the same team go and literally have a Zoom call like this, but they have a chat about something other than work. But it's not the same, let's be honest. And I think that's going to be a big challenge for people, um, depending on how long this enforced one works or, or lasts. I think that is definitely, I think people, you know, there's the physical and the mental. So I think even working from home brings its own challenges. Uh, you know, not everyone has a room that they can go to. Not everyone has a desk and a chair. Uh, there's people have sent videos and have told me they're on Zoom calls and people are lying on the couch and oh, there's just nowhere else to sit. They're not living in a house that allows for it. So that, you know, and again, say the health and safety legislation was not, did not build into its, whoever drafted that never really thought that 90% of the workplace are going to be working 100% of the time at home. So there is this whole balance between where is my responsibility? So both the physical elements to it, and then, as you say, the mental elements to it. So, you know, how, if you're all remote and it's and it lasts for a long time, how are you supposed to know if someone, how do you know how they're dealing with things? How do you know how they're coping? Do you have any capacity and any way of helping them with that if there are issues? Um, and that's sort of the, the probably the, the, the negative side. Of course, the positive side is that this whole work-life balance, it has been trust in a lot of companies. A lot of employees are now saying, look, I showed you, it does work. We can do this. So I think there is going to be a have to be a balancing. I'm hopefully, you know, when when things settle down and we, you know, it, it, there's so much uncertainty still, but as things, if you'd like to think there's going to be some normality arriving, there's no doubt that a huge amount of businesses are now going to either voluntarily or, you know, have to accept that flexibility is going to be part of it. Um, uh, and so I think that is a positive. I think in this modern world, you know, being able to work remotely for a lot of people is going to be a huge advantage um, and will certainly change the workplace for the better. But, you know, as I said, there is still the, the concern that is there a few unknowns that are coming that no one has actually uh, either legislated for or and how are they going to deal with that? I understand. Last question. Five words to describe your career, if you can. You can say three, you can say two. I'm just curious what you come up with. Five words. Um, I think varied. Um, lucky. I've mentioned that word a lot. I've been very lucky. Um, I don't know if I can think of a word. You might be able to think of a word for this, but I haven't looked too far ahead. So <laughs> short-sighted, maybe. <laughs> Comfortable in your own space, maybe. Comfortable in my own space. I mean, I ad- adaptable. I've adapted uh, often through circumstances, but I don't look too far ahead. I don't worry too much about what's coming. And uh, I, I let fate take a hand to some extent. And I think, um, you know, connections. I think I've done, uh, you know, like a lot of the businesses that service business, but I mean, my business is, hugely built on my connections and both the client base, but also just uh, referrals and uh, satisfaction, job satisfaction has been a lot of times around my connections, if that makes sense, and doing a good job and and seeing something that you, you thought of, thought, I wonder this work, when it works, and that then gets more and more business, I think it's great satisfaction that you're not the only one that thinks that this this is a good idea. That, that's great. Satisfaction is a great way to finish because 
So when you get out of bed in the morning, you're ready to go. There's a bit of bit of bit of bit of bit of, bit of stuff to happen in that sense. David, I, I really appreciate your time. I'm sure the listeners will get some great uh, inputs and insights to, to, to you sharing your story today. I'd like to thank you very much for coming on the show today. Pleasure, James. Thank you very much. Thank you for listening to the Career Scoop, brought to you by Elevate Career Advice and Elevate Executive Selection, Dublin and Bermuda. I'm James Fitzsimons, and I hope you've enjoyed listening. Join us next week for more episodes of the Career Scoop. Bye. <laughs>